Welcome to Is It Halloween Yet? Episode 28, a spooky little podcast where we talk about all things horror and ask, is it Halloween yet? I'm afraid not, ghouls, ghosts, and goblins. It's 154 days until Halloween. I'm your ghostess, Spencer. Let's see what we have on the slab this week. We've got lots of horror news. What's going to be streaming and in the theaters in the month of June? And then we're going to get into feature film, Last Night in Soho. We've got a lot of video game news as we head into the gaming industry's favorite time of year, summer. While E3 may be no more, Summer Games Fest is next week and people are getting their announcements out ahead of time. First off, we've got an interesting story from Asia. PlayStation Pl Classic Plus has launched there and it looks like Regina is seen in the banner showing off that new streaming platform from Sony. So does that mean that Dino Crisis is headed to PlayStation Classic Plus? We won't know for sure until it launches later this month in June on the 13th, but it does bring up the question, if she's on the banner promoting it, she's got to be coming, right? Also, is this Capcom's way of finding out if we want a new Dino Crisis? Capcom, the answer is yes. It's always yes. Homebody is an 80s slasher-inspired narrative home game by Rogue Games and Game Grumps. Headed to consoles and PC on Steam and Epic Games later this year, we don't have a firm release date yet, but we do have a synopsis according to the Steam page. Emily and her college buddies have gathered at a remote rental house to watch the Parasid Meteor Shower. They try to rekindle their bonds they once had, but lingering emotional wounds and social anxieties leave Emily feeling more alone than ever. When the power suddenly goes out, it's almost a relief. But under the cover of darkness, a mysterious killer picks them off one by one. If Emily can't find a way out, she'll be trapped in this nightmare forever. Evade the killer, solve the house's devious puzzles, and reconnect your friends. Escaping the house may seem impossible at first, but with each attempt to pull pieces together, a bloodstained picture becomes more and more clear. Streetlight Studios released a demo for their new game, Compeki. The game will be released on Steam, but the demo is free on itch.io or itch.io. Still have no release date yet, but according to Steam, the game follows Gairu fashion aficionado Hashi Morimoto, who has a mental breakdown when she comes to school with smudged makeup. She finds herself trapped within a nightmarish version of her rural hometown, abandoned streets, portals to buildings in different dimensions, deranged teenagers affected by some strange choking game, a mysterious light in the distant forest that watches her every moment. Hoshi attempts to escape from the twisted new world she finds herself in, but the golden light emanating from the outskirt of town compels her to stay. This game looks cool. I'm definitely going to check out the demo this week. I don't know. <laughs> I like the idea of a Gairu fashion girl as the protagonist of a horror game. I don't know. I like it. I think it's interesting. This story may just be for me, but I think there's probably a lot of people who feel this way. PlayStation 5 exclusive Returnal has shown up on SteamDB. The game had tags that referred to the Tower of Sisyphus, Atrops the planet where the game takes place. No date is known, but let's let's like hope summer game sales at the end of June. And so maybe it'll show up then. Maybe we'll find out about it today in the state of play. Sony has a state of play. This is June 1st is when I'm recording this and there's a state of play in like two hours. So maybe we'll see. In a little bit of a bummer news, but like this happens and we should just accept it. This is how game development works. Multiplayer for the quarry has been delayed until July 8th. Supermassive game director Will Byers 
announced the delay on Twitter last Thursday. The tweet reads, The wait's almost over, and the team and I are so excited for you to get your hands on the quarry in just over two weeks. The game will launch on June 10th with local couch co-op and movie mode alongside the single-player campaign. However, we've made the difficult decision to delay the online multiplayer mode to deliver the best possible experience for you. It's not a long wait, though. Online multiplayer will be added via an update by July 8th. We appreciate and understand and hope you are as excited for the launch in just 15 days. The launch is in like a week. It's less than that now. Less than 15 days now. But yeah, I'm excited for the quarry. It sucks that the, um, the multiplayer is going to be delayed, but... We're still getting the single player on track. If you have been living under the rock, the game focuses on summer camp counselors who are threatened by locals and something far more sinister. We got a five minute trailer this week also that walked us through Supermassive's trademark narrative gameplay style. If you've never played a Supermassive game, so Until Dawn or any of Dark Pictures Anthology games, so Little Hope, Man of Medan, I can't remember the other two. There's another one that came out last year, and then there's one that's coming out this year in October. They are branching narrative games very close to what Detroit Become Human is like, but they're all horror-based in the case of Supermassive. They make a better Quantum Dream game than Quantum Dream does now at this point. They're super good at these narrative games. Catch me playing this game on Twitch at 2 p.m. on launch day on my channel which is Miss Nintendeek64. We're going to play through it. I might do a Friday-Saturday stream that week so we can do four hours on Friday and four hours on Saturday because the campaign for Until Dawn is about eight to ten hours and I want to be there live with y'all so we can enjoy it together. Another big game that should be coming our way in the fall, Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Game got a huge dump of information. Gun Media took to Twitter this week to give us a whole week of maps. We got to look at the family house on Monday. The maps seem way smaller than the Evil Dead map, which I think is better. They seem more akin to the size of Hattonfield uh, on Day Dead by Daylight. I don't know that for sure. I've only seen the very stylized blueprints we're seeing, but there just doesn't seem like there's a whole, the map areas seem pretty contained. So I feel like that might be a fair comparison to it. I do think that the large maps in Evil Dead is good for the battle royale, like catch, collect your loot thing of the first stage of that game. But traversing those maps is my least favorite part of that game. So I am glad we're seeing another game come out with new innovative gameplay and a more contained map. Uh, the ho family house has the main family house, which has looks to have about eight rooms and a smattering of other buildings and hiding places around the map. On Tuesday, they showed off the famed gas station where the kids pick up barbecue. What are they eating, guys? What barbecue is it? Uh the map there seems to have four or five rooms in two separate buildings. So the gas station and then like another garage building maybe looks like it. And there's like a parking lot and looks like the gas station. We saw the environmental designs last week, which were fantastic and stunning. And then on Wednesday, they showed off the final map of the week, which was the slaughterhouse. And it's by far the most complex of the maps that we've seen. It has several large buildings with multiple rooms and what looks like a very open parking lot. I mean, maybe there'll be cars stacked in there, but I doubt it. It just feels like it's very open 
once you are outside the buildings. So it'll be interesting to see how that gameplay works. I'm still very interested in the multiple killers with the survivors. I think this game has a potential to really level up horror multiplayer games, even if they change the ratio of the asymmetry of it. We found out another big game that people are waiting for. The Callisto Protocol is aiming for a second half of 2022 release. Game Informer was given screenshots and the target launch window for their coverage in their digital edition. The Callisto Protocol is a horror survival game that takes place on the moon Callisto in 2320, where you must escape maximum security prison and uncover its secrets. We also found out that the game no longer takes place in the PUBG universe as originally planned. I think that's to its benefit. Head into Xbox One and Series, PlayStation 4 and 5, and PC on stream. Classic Korean horror game White Day A Labyrinth named School is headed to PS5, Switch, and Xbox Series. Prepare yourself for one of the most chilling games ever created. On the eve of the gift-giving holiday White Day, new Yandu High School student Mi Heeman Lee slips into school to hide a box of candy for the girl of his dreams. But when the school shutters slam shut, he finds himself trapped in the building overnight, hunted by a killer janitor and haunted by the troubles of the dead. So it's a stealth-based puzzle game where you have to get out of the school after sneaking in to give your sweetheart chocolate for White Day. The physical release is headed to PS5 on September 30th for $39 and will include most of the costumes that came out with the original version as DLC. They just are included this time. However, there was a bit of predictable news about the PlayStation update. Owners of the PS4 Standard Edition Ultimate Horror Editions of White Day A Labyrinth Named School will not receive a free upgrade to the PS5 platform due to the differences in content between the two platforms. The PS5 version includes 30 plus bonus costume DLC, which are not included in the standard PS4 edition. Additionally, due to licensing reasons, the PS5 version will exclude the Blue Blaze collaboration costume set, which was originally included in the PS4 Ultimate Horror Edition bundle. We'll hope you appreciate the reasoning behind this decision. So I get it. The games are very different in what they're offering. So it doesn't really make sense. This feels like it is a like game of the year edition where you get all the DLC with it and everything. So I get why they're saying we're not letting people upgrade, but I understand why people are rightfully upset about it too. So we're in that weird period where normally by now, I feel like in a cycle, we have gotten past the pain point of being able to get your hands on a console, but you still can't buy a PS5. And so... I think that a normal cycle, we would be seeing people stop making games for PS4 and stop offering upgrades. But because we are still in such a pressure situation to get PS5s, I think consumers expect them to take that into account. And developers, that's a hard thing to take into account. It is hard to develop for both one platform and the new platform. That's like, a, like, and it's not just that, because if you offer it on PS4, then you're going to have to offer it on Xbox One. So that's four platforms now instead of two platforms. It just makes the complexity so much harder. But I do understand, like, it's if you can't get your hands on a PS5, like, you still want to be able to buy PS4 games and upgrade them when you finally can get your hands on a PS5. So I understand the frustration from consumers as well. Hopefully we can just see, hopefully... 
we can get through the chip crisis for PS5 and get some more of those consoles out on the market. In our last little bit of video game news, Phasmophobia is getting an update. Kinetic Games gave us a developer preview on Friday on Steam. There'll be two new ghost types, a new voice recognition system. There's going to be a bunch of UI changes so you can get from making a private lobby to a public lobby much quicker. The custom difficulty system is underway, and to go along with it, there is a new reporting system as well as a tiered ban system for if you're griefing people, thanks to the custom difficulty. So I think it's really good that we're seeing those two come together hand in hand. Uh, they also gave us a peek at the reworked Sunny Meadows map, and it looks terrifying. There's pools of blood, all kinds of discarded uh, medical objects everywhere. They also have given us no launch date, but I feel like if they're talking about it, it's got to be coming fairly soon. Over the summer, maybe into the early fall at the latest. We've only got two news stories this week for TV, and both of them come from Netflix. Sometimes movies and TV news comes from the weirdest places, and this next story is one of those. Someone was rolling around the licensing expo in Las Vegas and found that the Jenny Ortega-led Adams Family spinoff Wednesday was going to be headed to our screens via Netflix this fall. We didn't know that the launch window for this was this fall. Everybody had assumed it, but like now we have it confirmed. It also was confirmed today I saw on Twitter before I hopped on to record that we're starting to get to the rollout marketing campaign and that Wednesday is going to be a part of Netflix Geeked Week. So that's exciting. We'll have more information on Wednesday by next week, by next week's episode, probably. And the other one is we finally got a teaser trailer for Stranger Things Part 4, Volume 2. The trailer previews the final two episodes of the season. Yes, you heard me right. Volume 2 is only two episodes long, but they are supersized episodes. The season finale clocks in at over two hours. Not going to get into the specifics of the trailer because, you know, there are people still savoring their way through Volume 1. We're going to get that on July 1st, so not a whole long time to wait between this and the next bit of Stranger Things. How have you been enjoying Stranger Things Season 4? It feels like a horror movie Easter egg delight. I know that there's a lot of people who are very shocked that it is so horror movie, and I don't know. Stranger Things has always been horror, and the second those kids became teenagers, they became the exact age for slasher fodder. This series is catching up and using the horror elements that have been age appropriate to their characters. And now they're teenagers. So they're like smack dab in the middle of a horror slasher nightmare. Let's get into movie news. Movie news is going strong as can wrapped up last week and everyone shifts their attention to the Tribeca Film Festival. Bong Hoon-ho's new film, Mickey 7, is starting to take shape. We talked about this film a few months back when contracts were still being negotiated, but it looks like it's pretty much shaken out the way we thought it was going to. The film is an adaptation of Edward Ashton's novel of the same name, and production is starting this summer, and we can announce officially that it is starring Robert Pattinson as Mickey Seven, the expendable clone who refuses to let his replacement clone take his place. The film will also star Tony Collette, Mark Ruffalo, and Naomi Eckel. We got an image and a trailer for the new Idris Elba project, Beast, 
In the film, Alba plays a widower who's trying to reconnect with his daughters on a trip to a game reserve in South Africa. The trip turns to a fight for survival when a lion who has been mauling but not eating his prey begins to stalk them. I had seen a lot of stuff going about it. I had read all the news that it was going into production and who was being cast and had seen it. It has been in the ether of the horror community. This trailer really piqued my interest. I, I thought I had had my fill. Like I have never been one who's like super into animal survival movies where we pit this like wild animal. I mean, mine is Kong, but where you repit this like wild animal versus uh, so like Anaconda. That's fine. Like I get why people like it. The camp. It's great. It's just never been my bag of tea, but this trailer actually piqued my interest. I don't know what it is about it. It just looks really good. So I can't wait to see that when it finally hits theaters this summer. French filmmaker Lucille Hatsihevelovic's new film Earwig dropped a new trailer. The film, according to Bloody Disgusting, is about as follows. Somewhere in Europe in the middle 20th century, Albert is employed to look after 10-year-old Mia. His most important task is to see her ice dentures, which must be changed several times a day. Every week, the phone rings and the master questions Albert about the girl's well-being. Every week, he gives the same answers. Until, one day, the master tells him he must prepare the girl to leave. The, th the trailer has such a haunting atmosphere. It really does a great job of showing dread and the misty, soaked European setting. Uh, it feels very unsettling. I don't know exactly, can't quite put my finger up about it, what feels so unsettling in the trailer, but... I won't have to wait long. I'm sure it'll be headed to VOD shortly after it heads to theaters on June 10th. Park Hoon Joon's The Witch Part 2, the other one, got a trailer and it seems to be living up to the action horror of the original Korean film. The film synopsis, a girl, Cynthia, who survives alone in a devastated laboratory called Ark, first takes first steps into the world. Kun Lee and Da Gi, two siblings who meet the girl, become her only friends. Characters with different purposes appear one after another and start chasing the girl. It's the beginning of everything as another witch wakes up. The film is headed to VOD on June 15th. Chilean horror film Invoke Yell has wrapped production. According to Bloody Disgusting, the film is set in 1997 in the south of Chile, where a trio of metalhead girls venture into the woods to record the eerie and unsettling sounds of the forest for their black metal band Invoke Yell's demo tape. It's headed into editing, and we should start seeing it in 2023. The concept of a black metal girl band who is using the forest and like that, to, I don't know. I just love the concept, all of it. It looks very stylish in the one photo on Bloody Disgusting, so I'm excited. XYZ Films shared a trailer for their latest acquisition, Harissa. Mexican director Michelle Garcia Cervera's feature film debut follows the story of a woman who, overjoyed at being pregnant, Stu turns to desperation as she is cursed by a dark force. Her descent into the old cult leads her to a coven of witches who may be her only hope. The film will be headed to the Tribeca Film Festival next week, and XYZ said it will be heading into theaters and sometime soon. It looks very interesting, and I read an interview uh, with the director where she talked about how the film celebrates people who were silent, whose stories were silenced. And everyone has that, like, in their family, I think. Like, everybody has, like, an aunt or an uncle, or maybe it is your mom or dad who has, like, a story that they don't want to talk about like their secret that they disclose to very few people 
or not at all. And sometimes it goes to their grave. And sometimes like after they die, you're like, they're like, oh, yeah, remember that really fucked up thing that happened to and you're like, what? And she says it's a celebration of those people. So I think that that's like an interesting concept. And also horror movies about pregnancy freak me out as a woman because being pregnant is the most horrifying thing I can think of. <laughs> so just the toll it does on your bodies and the way they describe it in the trailer is also just horrifying. So I will keep you posted on when you and I will be able to get our faces in front of this movie. This next story was by far the film that had friends and you guys tagging me or putting it into Discord or just making sure that this story got in front of me. And yes, it's the Winnie the Pooh horror film movie. Dread Central broke the story and blew it up on social media last week. And people have been asked, how are they getting away with doing a Winnie the Pooh horror movie? Well, Winnie the Pooh, the character from the book, not the Disney characterization, went into the public domain in January. So it is now free game. If you remember a couple years ago when Alice in Wonderland went into the public domain, Alice in Wonderland became a like huge plot point in lots of stories or lots of stories used Alice in Wonderland's plot to do it as an allegory in different modern ways. So get ready for all the Winnie the Pooh references being added into things as we go along. So let's get into what the Winnie the Pooh movie is. According to IMDb for the film, it says the film follows Pooh and Piglet as they go on a rampage after Christopher Robin abandons them. We did get a little color to add to this because director Reese Frakes Waterfield spoke to Variety this week to talk about the film. He said the film follows Pooh and Piglet after Christopher Robin goes to college. Quote, Christopher Robin is pulling away from them and he's not giving them food. He's made Pooh and Piglet's life pretty difficult because they've had to fend for themselves so much. They've essentially become feral, the filmmaker continued. They've gone back to their animal roots. They're no longer tame. They're like this vicious bear and pig who wants to go around and try to find prey. That's a delightful way to do it. It's basically what if Toy Stories, but Woody became a murderous villain, which was actually how Toy Story was supposed to go down. So I'm down. Yes, please give me murderous Pooh and Piglet. They also confirmed that Tigger and Eeyore will not be in the film due to licensing things, but his mind canon is that Pooh and Piglet just ate Eeyore because they were so hungry one day. So that's the kind of film you guys are in for, and I'm excited to see it when it comes out. Vampire hunting film Day Shift starring Jamie Foxx got a rating and a release date. The film is rated R for strong violence, gore, and language and is headed to Netflix on August 12th. We've covered this film a few times, but the gist of it is, is Fox wants to provide for his daughter, but has to juggle a pool cleaning day job and an international vampire hunting night job. I can't wait. Hopefully next week for Geek Week, we will get a trailer. I feel like that falls into what it would be, but I'm excited to see it when it comes out on the 12th. Little sleeper film Abandon released a trailer this week. The Emma Roberts and John Gallagher Jr. film released the trailer in advance of its June 18th theatrical launch and its June 24th VOD launch. According to Bloody Disgusting, the film follows a couple who moves into a farmhouse with their newborn son. The farmhouse harbors a dark, tragic history. As the past is revealed, the mother's mental health state deteriorates, putting her and her newborn son in danger. This film also features Michael Shannon doing what Michael Shannon does best, playing the creepiest man in the room. He's the creepy neighbor that the trailer implies has connections to the house. This looks interesting. I'll probably check it out when it comes to VOD at the end of the month. James Wan teases a malignant sequel could be possible in a comicbook.com interview. Wan talked about how he creates films and how that process really facilitates a natural 
progression for sequels to come out. He said, pretty much what I do from the very start, and it's not so much thinking, oh, there'll be a sequel for this, but I try with all of my films to have an idea of what the bigger world would look like, like an umbrella universe, if you will. That way, when I make this particular film, I know what's happening at every moment of the film and at every moment of the storytelling, if you will. Because if I know the bigger world that the story takes place in and that there are potentials to tell other stories, that usually is dictated by what the audience want. If they want more stories, then I have more stories to pull into it. That's been my approach, even all the way back to my first film with Saw. I know what the bigger world is like and writer Lee Winnell and I knew what the bigger world was like in Saw and we were fortunate enough to have others tell stories and have stories ready to tell. Started a sequel for Malignant trending on Twitter and I hope we do get a sequel for Malignant. Malignant is deeply weird and I think a film fan and filmmaker's dream. It really was just give me money let me make this crazy horror movie. And it really worked. Juan has got such a great sensibility about what is scary and what isn't scary and how much to show that I feel like a malignant sequel would go in a completely different direction than any of us could ever predict. So that's exciting to me and that makes me want to see it. 11th Hour Cleaning dropped a trailer. The film follows a crime scene cleanup crew whose latest job traps them in a murder house with a demonic power who can only be destroyed piece by piece as they find Norris runes that are hidden about the house. The film will be released later this summer. Lincoln Center's Beware of Darian Argento, a 20 film retrospective, gave us a peek at what that is going to be about. The celebration will run from June 17th to June 29th. It will feature 17 newly restored films, including a new 4K version of both Suspiria and Inferno, Darian Argento himself will be present at some showings doing question and answers, giving talks. That's very exciting for people who live in New York. Please go see Darian Argento. The lineup will also host the North American premiere of Dark Glasses, Argento's first four-way into film in 10 years. Let's move on to home releases. We've got just a couple and we're just going to run through really quick. Event Horizon is getting a 4K Ultra HD. It'll be released on August 9th. There's audio commentary from Paul W.S. Anderson and a featurette on the filming of Event Horizon. There is also a bit of unfilmed part of the film showing a rescue at the end of the film that was cut from the film. Flatliners is headed to 4K Ultra HD on August 2nd. It also has an audio commentary by... Critics Brian Reisman and Max Every in an interview with screenwriter Peter Fiari and a bunch of other in interviews with most of the people who make the film from the director of photography to the costume designer to the production designer. There is also a booklet featuring new writing on the film by film historians Amanda Reyes and Pete Tonkers and that is only included in the first pressing. So that's it for home release. Let's get into the creepy little extras, the sticky little bits. The iconic poster for The Thing has been turned into an action figure. NECA showed off its convention-exclusive figure last week. The figure has been made in celebration of the film's 40th anniversary. It's about seven inches tall and features a stunning LED light that really projects out the beams from the iconic poster. Stephen King's new novella, Rattlesnakes, is a sequel to Cujo. The novella is on its way but does not have a release date. He dropped the information on the Losers Club podcast, so congratulations to those guys for getting the king himself on there. 
It's unclear if this is a spiritual successor to Cujo or a direct sequel. Lovecraft Country soundtrack is headed to vinyl. Waxwork Records went to Twitter last week to let us know that Twitter wouldn't let them promote it on Twitter because they said it was quote unquote political, which is crazy. So I'm letting you all know that it's out now and you can get it. There is a three vinyl set for the soundtrack, which has music by Laura Cartman and Rafael Sakid. The vinyls are all beautiful color marble. So if you're interested, you should check out the link to Waxwork Records in the show notes. And in a piece of real estate we have talked about a lot, The Conjuring House has sold once again. The Rod... The Rhode Island house sold for $1.5 million this time, and it is unclear who has bought it. The last people we knew had bought it, bought it to do a bed and breakfast right before the pandemic started. So that didn't really work out. So now the house has been sold yet again. All right, let's get into it. Let's look at what's headed our way in June, starting with everyone's favorite horror streaming service, Shudder. June 10th, sees the release of Offspring, which is about a woman who heads to an island where her mother is buried after receiving word that her grave has been vandalized. She gets stuck when the island pulls up the bridges for winter. The town folks are cold to her and she thinks there may be something more to her mother's past and she will have to uncover her secrets if she wants to go home. June 16th, I think, is everyone's most anticipated thing from Shudder this month. Mad God, special effects genius Phil Tippett's stop-motion film, follows an assassin's journey in a ruined city guarded by zombie-like creatures. This film took Tippett's almost 30 years to create. The trailer looks amazing. The animation looks amazing. I think everybody is very excited to see this film. I'm very excited to see this film. I hope that you also will check it out. June 23rd reveals Revealer. It puts a pair of opposites, a stripper and a religious zealot, in a peep show booth during the apocalypse in 1980s Chicago. I love the trailer for this film. I think it looks great. I also cannot wait to see it. And June 30th brings The Long Night. Rob Zombie's Halloween star, Scout Taylor Compton, stars in a film about a woman searching for her family. She follows a lead to the deep south where the investigator invites her to stay for two nights on a plantation where terrifying things begin happening to her and her boyfriend. Netflix is a little bit thin this month. They've only got on June 10th coming out with First Kill, Vampire Hunter and Vampire fall in love when the latter tags the former as her first kill. We talked about this ex- cup, a bunch of times in the past couple weeks. I'm looking forward to it. I like V.E. Schwab. And now let's talk about VOD. On June 3rd, we've got a bunch of things coming. We've got this first film, The Overnight. A couple set on having a romantic weekend gets sidetracked and ends up at a rundown hotel only to find out the hotel has a demonic presence that will keep them running through murderous death loops. Uh, The second film to come out on the third is Inhuman. This is a Blumhouse epics collaboration, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago, maybe last week or the week before. And the story centers on a group of high schoolers who are taking a field trip that takes a turn for the worse when their bus crashes and they must fight their way through a zombie outbreak while also not turning on each other. It's classic kids stuck in a zombie movie and I think it looks funny and the kids seem perfectly annoying teenagers so you're gonna be okay if some of them get eaten and turned into zombies and feel sad when some of that happens to them it just feels like a really great mix of teenage characters of bratty characters and thoughtful characters and it looks like it's a good fun time and then the film I am most excited for to come out on the third is Dashcam 
We've also talked about this movie a bunch. It's from the team that gave us lockdown pandemic favorite host. The film follows a musician who flaunts the lockdown and goes from L.A. to London, where she takes her ex-bandmate's car and gives a ride to an elderly woman who isn't what she seems. I don't want to know too much about it. I've avoided watching the trailers. I trust the guys who made Host. Host is a great film. I want to go in as blind as possible and be surprised by their genes. June 7th sees the release of Keeping Company. This horror comedy we talked about very much in detail. So the short synopsis is two insurance agents get trapped in a basement of a man they're trying to sell to and must find a way out to survive. They realize that the condition they're in and corporate America are very similar. I went on and on about this last week. The trailer I find hilarious. I think it looks funny. I can't wait to watch it. June 5th, we talked about this in the top of the show. It is The Witch Part 2 the other one. So we just talked about the synopsis. So that comes out on the 15th. On the 21st, we've got Cyst. This gross out horror film follows a mad scientist, his patients, and his nurse as they fight for their lives after the doctors push for a patent on his cyst curing machine unleashes monsters. It is very gross. I would gross out is the best way to describe that. So please know that going in, but it looks really gross and fun. I don't know. I kind of want to see it. June 28th, we've got Where the Scary Things Are. This movie follows a group of teens who are working on a create your own urban legend project and they get consumed and seduced by the likes and going viral. And that ends up having deadly consequences for the group. And also on June 28th, The Passenger. We've talked about this one a lot too. So I'll catch you up super quick on what the film is about. It follows a group of ride sharers who pick up a woman after hitting her with their car. The woman, however, quickly reveals that she is someone they should have just left alone. And next up is Aeroplayer, which was a service that I hadn't heard of until right till this month because it is playing two films that I want to see. We don't have a date for those films, but these are the two films that are coming to Aeroplayer this month. Lux Eterna, which is Noel Gaspar's new film that follows Charlotte Gainsbourg playing a fictionalized version of herself as she films a film about witches. A content warning for that one is if you get sick because of flashy lights, if you have epilepsy, if you just do not feel comfortable <laughs> with flashing lights or visual audio mixing, Lux Eterna is not going to be for you. Goal Gaspar is not going to be for you. Most of his films at some point even make me, who I am not very photoreactive or sensitive, feel sick. And that's part of his shtick. That's just part of how he makes films. But the trailer from this was very intense with lots of flashing lights. So I really want to make sure that people are aware before the film comes out. It looks great. If that doesn't bother you, Charlotte Gainsbourg is phenomenal and I can't wait to see her in this. The second film out on Aeroplayer is The Righteous, which is a black and white film that follows a man who is burdened with the wrath of a vengeful God after a visit by a stranger. All of the shots and the trailer for this look haunting and I can't wait to give it a check when it comes out. And finally, we've got what's headed to you in theaters. Some of the VOD ones are headed to theaters, dash cam, the passenger, those are all coming. First theatrical one is also coming out, I think on the 24th on VOD. I'll double check that and make sure I put it in the show notes. It is The Watcher, which is the feature debut of VHS breakout director, 
Chloe Acuno. Her film follows a woman who is moved to town with her boyfriend who notices a stranger watching her. All of this happens while the city is in the grip of a serial killer. This trailer felt like old school stalker thrillers. And just knowing like the little bit of Acuno's work that I do know, I am very excited because I feel like she will just be able to ratchet that tension that we get from those kind of movies to 20. Like, I can't wait to watch it. It's very excited. Also coming out on June 3rd is Crimes of the Future. I've talked so much about Crimes of the Future. I don't know what else I have left to say. I just want to go watch it. It is the new David Cronenberg movie where the tagline for the movie is surgery is the new sex. And then finally, our final movie on this, what are we watching in July, in June? And finally, our final movie for what's coming to theaters and VOD in June is on June 24th, we've got The Black Phone starring Ethan Hawke. Scott Derrickson's new film follows a mass child murderer and his latest potential victim who must escape the clutches of the soundproof basement he's being held captive in with the help of a mysterious disconnected black phone that connects him to the killer's former victims. That movie looks terrifying. The masks are done by Tom Savini. All of that looks literally terrifying. I am so excited to see this film. It is finally the month of it. It has been pushed all over the schedule. I think it was supposed to come out last October. Then it was going to come out in February and then it was pushed again because of Omicron. So I'm finally excited that this film is coming to us and we are going to get to watch it. And that's it for the news this week. We're going to move on to our feature film, which was supposed to be last week's filter film. And then I was going to do it as an episode. But then I was like, no, I really want to add this in as an episode one. I think it deserves its own episode. I love this movie. It is not getting the love that it deserves. And I don't really can't really put my finger on why people aren't as excited about this movie as I am. Last Night in Soho was directed by Edgar Wright and written by Wright and Christy Wilson-Carnes. It stars Tomlinson McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Matt Smith, and it was released in late 2021. So the film is a very stylish horror flick that presents today, present day London and 1960s London. And I've watched all the featurettes I could about how they made this film. And it's stunning from it's it's stunning from the use of CGI that they use and the actual mirroring that Thomas and Mackenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy did in a lot of these scenes where they're like, there's a big dance scene that introduced you to the 60s, basically, portion of the film. And Thomas and Mackenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy, when you see a pulled out shot of them filming it, are basically dancing with each other and Matt Smith and the camera operator. Just the technical level of expertise in filmmaking to pull off a lot of this movie is stunning. That alone wouldn't be enough for me to like it, but I also think it is a tale. I think it is a tale I like. I just like how simple it is. There are um, a few twists and turns, so it's not like a straight run to the end of the movie, kind of like go in a straight line story, but I don't know how a story about a girl who could see ghosts would be that. There are a few loose ends that it doesn't tie up very well, like how does she see ghosts? Why does she see ghosts? What triggers her being able to see ghosts? And what was the catastrophic event that her grandmother is so worried about with her and seeing her mom's ghost? They don't really ever get into that. I mean, I guess we do see that she has like a mental breakdown when she's seeing what happens 
to Sandy, but I don't know. I feel like there could have been a little bit more touched on like the first version of this event, right? The first impetus with the mom, I think is uh, something that could have been done, but then it would have been longer and it's like two hours and that's kind of like, I also think the limit of what you could do with this movie. I do see a lot of folks throwing around like, is this even a horror movie? And it seems to be the same crowd that throws that criticism at Crimson Peak, which is another female led horror movie about ghosts. Um, ghost stories are horror movies. The Conjuring is all about horror ghosts. Insidious is all about ghosts. And while both of those films have more gore in it that both Crimson Peak and Last Night in Soho leave, it's not a gore fest by any stretch of the imagination. It is still very horrifying. And I really do appreciate the juxtaposition that Wright does of making this very stylish and slick let love letter to the aesthetics of the 60s while also telling us a very stark, scary, terrible story about how the good old days were not as good as we remember, right? So we get all the beauty and majesty of the wing liners and the beautiful dresses and Anya Taylor-Joy's hair is just perfection. All of that leads us into a story about terrible people doing terrible things to each other. And this might be a little bit of a controversial comment. Don't want it to be misconstrued. I think that this film gives me in the character of Sandy what I wanted from Promising Young Women. Promising Young Women build itself as a power fantasy for women in the trailer. The trailer felt like we were going to get this movie where we watched this girl basically be a serial killer against the men who were terrible towards her in your life. And we don't get that at all in the trailer for this. The story of Sandy, which is a girl who comes to London in the 60s, is full of life and ambition, and she's willing to do whatever it takes to get ahead. She just wants that chance, be famous and sing and be an actor. And she has drive and she has confidence. And we see her just walk up to Matt Smith and basically be like, you're going to be my manager and you're going to do it because I'm just, I am it. I am the next Petula Clark, I think she says at one point. And really, Anya Taylor-Joy sells this character of Sandy because we see her as confident and vulnerable in points. And as her life takes a turn from being ambition to becoming a call girl and a sex worker, we see the life basically drain out of her and when the twist is revealed that she has murdered the man who forced her into being a sex worker and a lot of her clients, it's like it give, it's giving me the story I thought Promising Young Women would give me of a woman who is going about it in the wrong way, but is getting justice for the situation that the world has put her in. And I think we see that a lot and I think we have a tolerance for men who do bad things when they are wronged, but we don't have that same tolerance for female characters who do bad things when they are wrong. Like everybody loves the Joker. The Joker is terrible, but people love him because he's a terrible villain. And I think Sandy is a terrible villain who is a great female addition to that pantheon of villains you love 
but you know you should. Sandy lives, and uh, it is basically revealed that Tomlinson, not Tomlinson, what is her name in the film? Eloise. It is basically revealed that Eloise has is having these visions because her landlady ends up being Sandy. Uh, her landlady's old room where all these murders took place, so she is, her sensitivity towards ghosts is, it's like a jackpot for that, right? Like there's just so many ghosts who are trying to like get a hold of her, but she can never see the men's faces. She can only ever see dark, faceless figures. And she can only see things through Sandy's uh, eyes. And so she spends a lot of the movie thinking that Sandy has been brutally murdered when she has turned out to actually be the murderer. I think there are a lot of great scenes with a lot of side characters. The character of the cop who then is the old man who takes an interest in Eloise because once Eloise gets her hair cut and dyed blonde, she looks very close to Sandy and um, he like clocks that and uh, they have a start up a relationship. I think that relationship is very interesting and it is a great way to, when you watch this movie again, see where Wright and Christy Wilson Carnes are leading you towards with Sandy. Uh, his dialogue comes off the first time you read it as a creepy, lecherous old man, but in reality, he is just an a guy trying to look out for this young girl who he is seen many girls as being a beat cop in the 60s that would come to the city and just be consumed by it. So I do think it's like a well curated jewel box of a movie that is just heightened by how slavish Wright is to the aesthetics of his film. And every film he has put out, he has like a very strong visual voice for that film. And Last Night in Soho may be the best one in that angle because he talks about in an interview how he uses the red light outside of Eloise's bedroom to signal that they're going into the 60s. And then later in the film, as Eloise's mental state deteriorates and she starts to become more and more unhinged by what she's seen, because at one point she has seen Matt Smith's character, what she thinks murder Sandy. What she doesn't know is that Sandy then murders him in that scene in real life. But she is starting to become detached from her reality and unable to differentiate between the two. They're starting to like bleed together. And as that does, he really hones in on bringing bright red neon light into modern London, which for the most part has been a very desaturated color palette compared to the 60s. So I just think the film is stunningly beautiful. The film has two very strong women characters in it who have pulled off some interesting feats of acting with all of the mirroring and the CGI that they would have to do of each other mirroring and all of that just seems complex and the technical precision to pull that off from Edgar Wright and his entire filmmaking crew is fantastic. I think another thing that really gets this film to the level that it needs to be is the cinematographer. This is the first time that Edgar Wright has worked with Chung Chung Hoon, who is a South Korean filmmaker. He's done a lot of Western things, but the thing that I am most familiar with him doing that I remember him doing is 
he did a lot of work with Park Chang-woo. So Lady Vengeance, Tainted Love, Old Boy, those all those films that you think of when you think of Park Chan-woo, he was the cinematography. He helped write that language, which is very close. Like, I think I never really thought about how close in style, not in tone, but in style, Park Chan-woo and Edgar Wright make films. They're both very meticulous in how they make films. So the fact that the that his cinematographer would work so well with Wright's style of writing and of his films and how he tells stories makes sense. I just think this is an exciting film. I don't, I think it came out at a time right as COVID was peaking and then they never did a really good job of marketing that it was on VOD. And the second this hits a streaming service, if you don't feel like spending money on it, please give it a watch. Uh, I'm gonna give it a four and a half out of five. I really, really love this film and the underlying story of yes, the past, had beautiful aspects, right? Like the aesthetics of the 60s are beautiful, but the time was still populated by people who did terrible things to each other, I feel is a powerful story. So that's gonna do it for us this week. I'm your ghost dispenser. You can catch me all over the internet as Miss Nintendo 64 That's on Twitch, YouTube, Twitter. Uh, you can catch the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at a Halloween club. Also, if you have a moment, write us a review. Give us a star review. That really helps people get their eyes on the podcast and gets new people into the horror news loving family we have here. So that's going to do it. You know what time it is. Sleep or don't. I am a part-time magician. Are those Dr. Lewis in there?